The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Hunter and Michaela, and this is the Model Citizen Podcast. We wanted to let the members of our community experience a different side of us that they see glimmers of, but never the full force. Exactly. We wanted a place where we could talk unfiltered about anything and everything, including our lives and experiences in the modeling industry, beauty, fashion, dating, sex, marriage, a dash of political commentary, and of course, pop culture, honey. We're going all the way in. Tune in every Thursday for a giggle, a laugh, and maybe even a tear or two. You've just found your new best friends, and we're so happy to have you. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. So I've got a bit of a big announcement to make. The Looking Up podcast is going to be going on a hiatus after the completion of season six, which is this current season, there will be some more information and a little bit more on the details of why I came up with this decision, um, which was not an easy one, on the last episode closing up season six, which will be coming out next week. And a hint as to sort of why is I am starting to take a little bit of my own medicine or, um, as we say, practice a little bit more of what I preach. And so more on this very bittersweet and tough decision, um, there are going to be six seasons full of episodes that you can revisit or if you just started joining along that you can go back and listen to each story super resilient and powerful and inspiring and all with tips and tools to increase resiliency and optimism. And you can also start following along if you don't already um, on Instagram uh, at Dr. Deepika Chopra because the podcast is actually turning into and it's already turned into a weekly Friday live looking up live series where the same quality of guests are coming on with me live on Instagram and instead of a podcast format, it's going to be shorter, but more uh, interactive where you guys get to ask questions and be a part of the conversation with myself and my guest. So it is bittersweet and more to follow on um, why all of this is happening next week. But for now, I uh, want to introduce this week's guest on Looking Up. It's a widely held myth that we create our best and most creative work when we are suffering. And I myself have even seen the amazing and powerful work that can be made while in the midst of a struggle. But it's not the only time we can create truly meaningful work. And I had the best time breaking down this myth with my guest on this week's episode of Looking Up, Grace Maselli. Our conversation was honest and beautiful as Grace opened up about how she discovered art as a key to access her emotions while young and the journey she has been on to have her work reflect the inner peace she fought to find throughout her journey. She talks me through her own thoughts around creating meaningful art out of a place of health over pain, how she blocks out the noise to take care of herself, self-compassion and rest, and how boredom became her favorite space to create out of, 
and how taking a break last spring after her book published changed her life. I couldn't think of a better guest to leave you with as looking up goes on a bit of a break and a hiatus than Grace and her wise words. So please enjoy this episode and remember things are looking up. Next week, there will be a solo episode wrapping up not just season six, but this sort of era of the Looking Up podcast until we continue. So I will leave you with that and I will see you next week. So how we start looking up is with the little section that I like to call looking in. And for those of you listening, you know all about this section. It's just a series of very short rapid fire style questions just to get the audience and myself to get to know you, Grace, a little bit more intimately. And so without too much thought or judgment, first thing that comes to mind. So Grace, is there a book that you have read that has actually changed the way in which you live your life? And if so, please share with us the title and a little bit about why. Yeah. So Radical Compassion by Tara Brock is a book that just really helped guide me towards believing that like I should like myself and be nice to myself, you know, have truly like to practice compassion and not just say that I do. And people think I'm blank, but I'm actually blank. People think that I'm intimidating, but I'm actually pretty shy. Ah, okay. Three words to describe yourself as a teenager during the high school years. Angry, insecure, and terrified. Hmm. Well... I definitely want to get into that a little bit more. I think that's something that actually more so than not, many of us can relate to during that time period of our life and possibly even now. But my next question for you is three things that have brought you joy today. My dog, I just moved. So wandering around, exploring my new neighborhood and starting the day with like a giant iced coffee. Okay. I like that. Funny little tidbit. I actually had never had coffee before until two days ago. And I just tried... Well, I don't know if if like realists would... A real coffee enthusiast would really consider what I had to be coffee because I had decaf. But I had an iced cappuccino decaf with almond milk and... It was unbelievable. You like so you liked it. <laughs> it's definitely one of my on my three things that brought me joy that day, and possibly something that's going to be bringing me joy in a few hours today. There you go. <laughs> really you good. Go. Okay, how do you define optimism? To me, optimism is just the confidence of knowing that, like, despite how things are going, I'm going to be able to figure it out and get through. Yeah, I like that. And obviously, we talk a lot about optimism on this podcast, and it's something that we will be talking a lot about today. For those of you that don't know, Grace is an artist, and she's also, in my mind, a mental health advocate and a designer. I came across your Instagram, and I'm actually a huge fan. I absolutely love how you use art and humor to really like just talk and and put out vulnerable content about things that I think all of us find so relatable. And 
you know, doing what I do from a professional standpoint, I've always found it really interesting, the idea of using humor and, and art as an actual tool in mental health resiliency. And so I would love to sort of just first and foremost, ask you about your journey with art and your journey with mental health and how the two really sort of culminated together and how you got to be doing what you're doing. And I know you just released or launched your book called How to Deal, which is a collection of all of that. And so I, I'd love to just get some of your story and and kind of focusing on using art and humor as a tool for you. Yeah, definitely. So I have been making art since a young age. My parents always encouraged it. And it was just something that I felt that I needed to do. I'm someone that unfortunately, you know, I think like starting as a teenager, I was pretty scared and overwhelmed by my emotions. So I kind of was someone who repressed them a lot. But art always was this like safe space for me to explore them through. So I started taking art pretty seriously in high school as a teenager as this outlet, right? Like I wasn't comfortable telling my friends that I was like sad or angry, but I was comfortable and confident exploring that through my art. And, you know, my, I, I did a lot of photography and video when I was a teen and in college. And then, you know, that's shifted over towards illustrations and comics now. But I think that that, it really was like, I need, I needed, I needed art because I was not comfortable enough exploring that like in a direct way with anyone, right? Even the people closest to me. I, I really just considered myself like a person that didn't have feelings, which looking back, I'm like, how did I do that? Like what was going on? So then about four years ago, I hit a really low point, like was, you know, really sad, kind of couldn't get out of bed. I, I think all of that repressing everything really caught up with me. And I went back into therapy. I stopped drinking. And I think similarly to my discovery of art when I was younger, everything that I was learning in therapy was just, it blew my mind. I, you know, it was just so many things, right? To like not take things personally, to practice compassion, to like yourself, all of these things that I really had no idea about. And so it just made so much sense to me to kind of combine those two things, to combine, you know, art with everything that I was learning about mental health, about my own personal journey and discoveries, because, you know, I knew as, as someone who I was in and out of therapy as a teenager, I've always had, you know, known people in therapy and and stuff. And so I knew that someone with like that, those sorts of privileges to still be so cut off from that understanding, like it, it felt like it was important to kind of share all this, right? I was like, I can't be the only one who is kind of like cut off or, or clueless about a lot of this stuff. 
And yeah, so it's, you know, it's been about four years of, of making this type of work that is way more sincere and way more vulnerable. Of course, I still try to integrate humor, but I can definitely see how like before I started my journey with mental health, my work, it definitely like was still concerned with those things, but it was a way more like self-deprecating, like way more avoidance. I can see that I was making jokes about what I was dealing with, but it was kind of surface level in that way where now I'm able to like joke about it, but be like, you know, this is real too. There was like something that you posted on your Instagram that I think was just like sometimes using humor. And, and I see what you're you're saying because I feel like some of it is sort of surface level and kind of makes you chuckle or laugh or bring joy. But it's also about a topic that is like kind of heavy and something that we can all relate to. And I think that sometimes people's first step really is sort of being able to step away from it and have some perspective and even like sometimes even laugh. And there was one that, there was many, but there was one that I thought was so funny. And I think it was actually fairly recent. And you guys, this is on her Instagram and it's a graphic that says, how to not check your phone every 90 seconds. And so that totally is something that we can all relate to and grab our attention. And you kind of think like, oh, maybe there's actually going to be some tools that we can use to not check our phone. But it, it actually is really humorous and it made me like actually crack up out loud. And so some of them were... Hire a private dog trainer to teach your dog to bury your phone in the backyard with a simple command. And these all go with illustrations. Cast your hands in plaster. Develop an invisibility cloak phone case, parentheses. This will probably also make you rich, which is cool, end parentheses. Pack up all your belongings, leave your old life behind, and move to the woods where there's no cell signal or Wi-Fi craft multiple decoy phones and place them around your apartment to confuse and frustrate yourself enough to give up the search. And then it goes on, although some of the some of the ones that it goes on to actually like this one, dedicate the next five plus years in therapy to figuring out why you crave so much external validation and desire a constant rush of dopamine, which is kind of funny. And I think there's like a tongue in cheek in that. But I'd also like after hearing what you say, you probably actually found the way to do that through therapy. And then the next one is my favorite. It's throw it out the window. So I think just the way in which you use simplicity sometimes and humor and illustration, I think it just really is very spot on and speaks to so many of us and in a way that is not, you know, over our heads and at the same time, not fluffy. It feels like, it just feels really authentic. And sometimes we need to laugh about stuff. And sometimes we need like real advice. And I think that, you know, and sometimes we need to treat ourselves with compassion. And sometimes we need to know that we're not alone. And I think what is really beautiful about your work is I get a sense that all of that is part of it. And it's sort of a really beautiful illustration, for lack of a better word, of your vulnerability. And if you can be vulnerable and put it out there and so many people can relate to it, then we can all be vulnerable. Yeah, no, thank you so much for saying all that. I definitely think that's 
what I'm going for, for sure. It sounds like the three words that you used um, to describe yourself as a teenager. How were you able to sort of cope with that or work through it or what was making you so angry? You know, I think that is actually a descriptive word that when I work with teenagers or I have in the past, I think so many more of us have that sort of response than than I think is talked about. And so for you personally, where did all that anger come from? And was art really something that helped you sort of work through that anger or helps you currently work through the anger? Definitely. I think the anger probably came from not feeling understood, not feeling seen. I think, you know, I was not like a popular kid in high school with lots of friends. I did have friends, but I was definitely like a bit more of maybe an an outsider. You know, I didn't participate in sports or any, you know, any, anything like that. Right. I wasn't a part of these like larger communities. And I think because of that, yeah, I just, I didn't really feel like I belonged. And, you know, I think, yeah, when you feel kind of maybe invisible, there's an anger of being like, yeah, like, why not me? And even though, of course, now looking back, right, like I I definitely, you know, I think purposely distanced myself from a lot of things, right? It, It wasn't just, I can now see that it wasn't just everyone else pushing me away. I was, you know, kind of doing that too. But art definitely was like the way that I started to find my people. I, you know, I took like classes on the weekends at the art school in Boston. Like I, you know, I I started to put in some effort to figure that out and to be like, all right, where are the other people that are passionate about what I'm passionate about? And so, you know, it took me a little while to find that. But then, yeah, as soon as I did, I definitely think a lot of that anger started to melt away. Yeah. I think that one of sort of the very core sort of where anger kind of like starts brewing and developing from oftentimes is from this idea of not feeling seen and seeing yourself as an outsider, as you said, and not fitting in quote unquote. And I think that's something that in that time period too, we don't really have the, like how you just have some ability to have retrospect right now and sort of be like, well, I think there was an active part of it for me that I was doing as well. And it wasn't just people pushing away, but I think it's really hard at that time because we don't really have that. It's not part of us in our teenage years to have this sort of like retrospection and to kind of think about things in a way and perspective. It just is a time in our life where we're very much in the moment. And in some ways that can be really amazing. And in other ways it can be, you know, very catastrophic in our minds. You describe the book as one that your younger self would have really needed. And as a guidebook for someone who isn't ready to admit that it might be time to try looking at things a little bit differently. What is sort of writing this book and reading the book and and even, I guess, you know, this last year living through all of us living through this this whole time of the last year plus, what's something that you have been taught to sort of look at differently? I definitely think just to, again, I, I've mentioned this a few times, but to be nicer to myself, I think 
so many of us could be nicer to ourselves and to just have like a little more patience for ourselves to figure things out. I know that I'm always like a detective trying to figure everything out, like to the every detail. And I think this last year taught us that like for better, for worse, no one knows what's coming up, what's going to happen. Like there's so many external forces out of our control and to just be nice to ourselves, like while we react to those. Yeah. I think that's definitely how I've shifted a little bit in this last year of just trying to let go of wanting to know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, something that I say to my clients often is our first line of defense, you know, with any of the issues we're going through is always self-compassion. And it seems like it's so simple, but when you think about all the years that you've spent not practicing self-compassion and sometimes even actually being really used to or being in a routine of practicing the opposite, it is something that doesn't just come naturally. And so it literally is like a muscle and it's practice. And that's where I think that the artwork and developing some sort of journal or art or visual or, you know, written practice when you're in therapy is such a huge supplemental piece that I think really helps with mindset shift and actually doing things differently and creating new routines and new rituals. And so I'm wondering from you with, it seems like when when you're on your Instagram and, and the sort of art that you put out, it's almost like you're in therapy and you have like a book and you're doodling the concepts that you're learning and you're sort of like you can imagine, I can imagine her having this like notebook in therapy and just like as much as possibly your therapist is taking notes, you're taking notes, but you're like sort of like processing the concepts and plugging them into your own life and then sort of as an external thing, like doodling them down on paper. And I know for many of us, when you highlight something, when you're you know studying, I remember when I was a kid, just the act of actually putting my highlighter across words. And I was totally one of those kids that I didn't really understand how to pick out the important stuff. So my book would just be like yellow, like everything, but just the act of like physically going over it with a highlighter, like plugged it more into my brain and it helped me understand more. And so I'm wondering from you if this whole sort of putting it down on paper and then making graphics on it, is that actually something that enhances your therapeutic practice and it actually like makes the concepts that you're learning in therapy like more sort of doable and measurable and actually like keeps you doing them throughout your week, like keeps you on track? Definitely. I think that, right, there's that aspect of reinforcing, remembering it. And then I think there's also that aspect of release, you know, maybe some of the the art that I create about things that I struggle with when I can draw it, write about it, never completely, but to a certain extent, I can kind of let it go a little bit, right? I can be like, all right, this mean thought I have all the time about myself, like maybe if I make some art about it, you know, maybe it, I'll, that's kind of me letting it go a little bit. I think 
there's another side to it in that sometimes I wonder if I make a lot of art about something, I'll sort of think I'm done with it, right? Like it's a way to kind of like tie it up and be like, okay, Mm -hmm. like I made this piece about anxiety. I'm not anxious anymore, which is, you know, that's, so I think sometimes I do wonder, I'm like, you know, maybe I'm jumping too quickly to make work about something that I only intellectually understand, but I haven't actually totally learned how to like process that in my body yet. So that's something I'm, you know, thinking about. It doesn't make the other parts of that not true, but I think it's just like this added complication to it. Another layer to that is creating the work and sharing it, whether it's my book or just on Instagram, the responses that other people have to it of being like, oh, like I have the same thought, but I was never able to articulate it. I think that really helps the like feeling seen, feeling understood thing that I've always been chasing, right? And of course, sure, there's external validation is wrapped up in that for sure. But I do think there is something pure and like wholesome of that, of being like, a stranger who I don't know who lives on the other side of the country has this exact same thought that I do. So I'm, you know, again, we can intellectually understand that we're not alone in all of these things, but sometimes it can still feel that way. I totally get that. And so I think part of it is like the drive for it is sort of putting a bow on something and closing it. But at the same time, recognizing that it all is a process. And so just because you might say something and have sort of an aha moment about anxiety and make a graphic on it and really be like, yes, that's how I feel. And other people connect on it. It doesn't mean that you're done with it, (laughs) you know? And so I think we recognizing that it is still a process. All of it is a process. But I also wanted to ask you about, because in the beginning of my career, I worked with a lot of artists and just being out in LA in grad school and, and in psychology, I worked with a lot of artists and something that really kept coming up a lot was this, you know, oftentimes art comes from a place where you're processing something. And so the inspiration sometimes lies when you're in a dark spot. And oftentimes it can look very self-deprecating, kind of as you had said before, you in the beginning, you it's sort of, or you look a few years back and maybe your art is like, much more self-deprecating than than it might be right now. I wonder how you held on to being inspired even when you feel good, because I think that's something that I've had to work with with a lot of artists where there's almost a fear that if I actually get better and I feel good a lot more often than not, will I still be able to make art? And is that a concept that you have yourself personally thought about, struggled with, or know people in sort of your network that have struggled with? And do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, yes. Uh, (laughs) That is something I have thought about a lot over the years. And yeah, sometimes I wonder if I, it like took me so long to get help, get outside help because I, yeah, like I definitely believed that yeah, when I was just, yeah, really down or whatever that, that like suffering, I mean, there's that, the myth, right. Of like, yeah, the Mm -hmm. starving artist, the pain, you know, 
But yeah, looking back, I'm like, no, when I was really suffering, I wasn't doing anything. Like I wasn't showering. I wasn't going outside. For me, at least like that, there was definitely, that was not really true. And yeah, it is something that I think even now, to be honest, I am struggling with to have gotten to a certain point, you know, in my personal life, I don't feel that need to figure things out in the same way anymore. And sometimes I wonder if that has to do with my relationships to social media in the past. I like, you know, what I just mentioned before, right. Of the like feeling seen that validation. I think I I really needed that for so long to help build up my confidence. And I think in some ways it did do that, right? I think it did help me. I think it did help me to grow in a lot of ways. But for a while now, I've been able to recognize, like, I don't feel good when I'm on my phone all the time. And that being the main the main way I share, like, my, my personal work, it's definitely something I'm trying to figure out. I think I'm lucky in that I have a few lanes of my art practice, right, where I do the kind of more like product design, more decorative work that I do for clients sometimes, which can just kind of be colorful and fun and, you know, doesn't always have that layer of like a message in there. So I think I'm lucky that or I'm, I'm grateful that I, I have that kind of work that I can still do that still, you know, feels feels true to me and, and in my style. But yeah, I'm definitely thinking, I'm like, do I, you know, do more workshops? Like what, what, how can I channel my abilities in a way that integrates what I've learned? Because I mean, you know, I also want to grow too. I think there's something to be said of like not wanting to keep making the same type of work all the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's definitely real that, yeah, when I'm feeling kind of at peace and calm, like I, I don't, you know, I'm not rushing to my phone to be like, what should I post on Instagram? Or I'm not feeling that like urge to be out there and be yeah, seen as, as much. Cause I, you know, I, I feel that way to a certain extent now, you know, there's maybe some, some truth to it, but I think for me, it's more about, yeah, figuring out how can I shift my art practice to grow anyways, but to kind of integrate that, like, level of inner peace that I have now that I didn't have before. What are like some things or practices that, if at all, that you intentionally do to kind of get yourself in the most creative space possible? So I don't always do it, but I try to journal every morning to let go of the, you know, repetitive, anxious thoughts. I just kind of do that like brain dump onto the page. Also just like walking exercise, you know, just kind of burning off all the like clutter and noise. I think that really helps me. And then also like, I don't, I don't know exactly how to describe how I do this, but I feel very inspired to be creative when I'm bored. Mm. So I think boredom, which you know, can be just, I don't know, like the, that like I'm using the proper definition of boredom. I think it can, you know, could also be described as just, yeah, being void of the like anxious, like preoccupations or whatever. But if I'm just kind of like, I think boredom can also just be forcing myself to like sit at my desk with the blank page 
and just sit there, not do, you know, not like doing errands or checking email or talking to friends, like not that other little busy stuff of just being Mm -hmm. like, be bored. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that allows for the stuff to come out. That's so interesting. So when I first, when I was in doing my doctorate, I was really interested. I, I did my dissertation on guided visual imagery and optimism, but I was also really interested and did a lot of research on creativity. And one of the things that I thought was so interesting that I was learning about was that, and and I could see it in my own life, we are more prone to be creative or to take risks or calculated risks when we're actually feeling really secure and stable. And so I think sometimes when you're talking about right now, when you're talking about this idea of boredom, I was like internalizing that as sort of comfortable and stable. And like a lot of times I come up with like really creative ideas when I'm just doing something really mundane. And I think there is a lot of reason behind that where it's like, yes, your brain is not tending to sort of anything that is in the like survival mode, you know, capacity or having to put out any sort of fires or like roadblocks or setbacks that are coming up or, you know, new information processing. It's just like when I'm showering or, you know, when you're driving to work or like a school pickup or drop off, like every day, something that you do that doesn't require your brain to sort of like be involved too much because it already knows the route and it's already created these efficient pathways. And so I think being in that state of comfort or sort of even calling it boredom, I think, which is totally valid when your brain's just not active to, it's active, but it's not being activated to sort of like put out fires, you know, for whether that means something really intense happening or just learning new information when you're sort of just there and and calm and sort of blank slate-ish, I think is oftentimes we kind of overlook and take for granted those times. And I think that's really interesting. I certainly in those moments, obviously, as long as I'm not driving, I think taking that time and moment and being like, oh, I recognize I'm in that. Why don't I sit down in front of a piece of paper or you know, instead of thinking of the 8 million things I need to do, why don't I actually see what happens if I just sit in front of my computer with the cursor, if I wanted to write or do something creative or like, there's so many times that 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 happens. And I don't think about like, why don't I just take out some of my son's paint and a piece of paper? I mean, I am not, and I, and I say this with sort of around with quotes. And that's something that I don't think any of you should ever say. So I'm saying this as an example of what not to do. But I I think I go around the world being like, I'm not an artist. So kind of like really disclosing or like saying, like, I am not something. Like I used to say, I am not a dancer, but but I really love dancing. And And what does it mean to not be something if you actually really enjoy it? And we all have the ability to sort of do some of these things. And so, yeah, I may not be a professional dancer or a professional artist, but I've learned that I really enjoy painting and drawing just through doing it with playtime with my son. So there's this idea about creativity that I actually like was deep in the research with so many years ago. And I think it's so interesting. I haven't thought about it in so long until today. And how interesting that is that oftentimes we can take these risks, which sometimes allow us to be more creative when there's other things in our lives that are 
really stable and secure and how opposite that kind of feels from this sort of myth or notion that we are only our most creative selves when everything is going wrong and we are like in our lowest, deepest, darkest state. And actually we can be so much more creative when we feel this idea of stability. And so there is a real motivation and inspiration to self-growth and to love yourself and to uh, live more optimally and to get help. So I think that's kind of a full circle from what we were talking about. But um, yeah, all of that just deeply interests me. And, and also just the idea that sometimes we have to give ourselves permission to just be creative and kind of forget that as humans, we actually are built to be creative. And there's certain, and there's many things we do in our daily life that actually require and take creativity. And we don't often always chalk it up to that. And so the next time you kind of say, I'm not creative, or in my case, I'm not a dancer, I'm not an artist, to really check ourselves. You recently said something that I found really amazing. And again, it's something that it's a concept or a notion that I really talk a lot about as an optimism doctor. But you said learning to sit with your accomplishments versus this idea of rushing ahead to validation. So for you personally, can you talk a little bit about that distinction and that sort of, it, it was like a little awakening, I think, for you and and how that sort of changed the way or shifted the way that you sort of live your daily life? Yeah, I think that for years, I know myself and a lot of my peers, I think we're so caught up in what a lot of people call like that kind of hustle mentality, right? Of just like the next thing, the next thing, just kind of like piling up all of these achievements. And on one hand, you know, I get it when you live in a city that's expensive and you're a freelancer where sometimes it can take, you know, three months to get paid. I I can see where I was coming from in that just kind of always running ahead, but it was a very like insecure way to be existing because I, yeah, I was just never reflecting and I was so out of touch with, you know, like what sorts of projects I actually enjoyed and what did I want to do more of? Cause I was always just saying yes to the next thing. Cause I was like, really in that scarcity mentality of, you know, this could be the last job. This could be the last thing I ever do. And yeah, I, you know, I just think it's so important to, to reflect. And sometimes for me, that even just means like going through my Instagram or going on my website and being like, look at all this stuff that you've done. Like, that's, that's so cool. And again, I think it goes back to that, like, being nice to yourself thing where I think for so long, I thought that if you liked yourself, you were like, you know, just like a shallow person who was obsessed with themselves. Like I, I didn't understand that you could be proud of yourself and have that, mm-hmm. you know, like not mean that you're this ego maniac. I mean, that doesn't mean it's not hard, but yeah. Like after my book came out in May, you know, I had the like, you know, did the kind of month of like press and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then I took June and July off, which I have never done before. It was so terrifying to me to, you know, just be like, okay, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to have income in these two months. I'm just going to reflect on the like whirlwind of creating this book and the pandemic and everything I've done this last year and just 
be present with that. And the first few weeks were like so uncomfortable, right? Because I'm someone who, you know, is like, my job is a huge part of my identity. So if I don't have that, like, who am I? Who am I without this like productivity of always making and releasing projects? Um, What did you find out? You know, I'm like a person that loves nature and loves to read and loves to laugh. You know, I had this just amazing trip with my boyfriend and my dog where we were present and sometimes being present is painful. Like the Mm -hmm. AC in the car broke when we were in the desert. Right. And like I was getting bug bites from camping, but to just kind of feel like a person stripped of a lot of my common identifiers, right. Of like, I'm an artist who lives in New York city to let those things go for a little bit was, was very freeing. And to remind Mm -hmm. myself that, you know, again, it comes back to that. Like, even if I get a different job or go back to school or move somewhere else. Like at my core, I am still mm. a person who is valid and who deserves love. And that was really awesome to embrace. I love that. I think that is really important, especially for many reasons, but especially at a time when I think that everything is always happening and so fast around us. And we've sort of almost like adapted to that lifestyle that doing nothing or not sort of being super busy is really scary for many of us. And this idea of sort of like taking like a dopamine fast or, you know, sort of removing stimulation for a while is so healthy and so important, but also is at a point right now where we feel like many of us feel we just can't do it. Like we need certain things to survive. And that's how it's sort of like we've been programmed now. And so I think that's so interesting. And I think I can totally relate to that like also idea of living in a type of society where it is about hustling. And especially if you own your own business and there's this fear sometimes where like if I take time off, even like, you know, a maternity leave, like if you don't have like someone or a team running the machine how can you even do that? And what happens, like that fear of like, what happens if I just go away for a little bit? Will I be gone forever? You know, and like, will you just get forgotten because the world is so fast paced? And if you don't keep putting your mark out there, what happens? And I think that's a fear so many people have right now, especially with business being on social media. And I think that it's really, really, really impossible to think that we are going to be producing content every single day, even though that's part of our job and our life. And I just saw something the other day where this girlfriend of mine who is a creator and actually a makeup artist, and she actually did, I I didn't even, I didn't know her at the time as a creator. She did my wedding makeup many years ago, but I just was randomly scrolling and I saw something she posted and like fans were criticizing her for not being very active over the last few months on social media And I just was like, how crazy is that? And, you know, I think this idea that if we don't even feel ourselves that we deserve a break, how can we expect other people to even remotely think that we deserve any form of a break? And I just think that this idea of taking a break is not lazy. It's actually how we, how we recharge our energy. And our energy is our most valuable currency. 
to live and to work and to be productive and to be joyful. And so when you look at it that way, um, you know, if taking a break is one of the best ways to conserve and recharge energy, gosh, we should be doing it a lot more often and actually like a lot more intentionally. I know we're running out of time, but the last thing I wanted to ask you is, I know you've talked a lot about therapy and the positives of therapy and how it sounds like it actually has really you know, without sounding cliche, but it actually has really changed your life and for the better. You had said in the beginning of this conversation that in therapy, you were having all of these sort of like mind-blowing moments and learning about concepts. And I think the interesting thing about therapy, again, is it's a process and being on the other side of it as someone that, you know, was in practice professionally on the other side for, for a long time it's this process and it's not this like static thing. And so it's this evolutionary process. And I think every sort of session you have, or at least I always hoped, and I was really intentional about hoping to give my clients every session, some sort of aha moment or tool or awakening or something they could use in their week themselves, like a form of self-mastery. So where I'm going with this is, I know you probably have a lot to choose from and you've talked a lot about this idea of self-compassion, but recently, what are, what's one of the things that you kind of learned in therapy that has been sort of mind-blowing or a concept that even if it seemed simple, was like really connected with you that you could share with other people? The concept of not taking things personally and... I was exposed to it years ago, but I do feel like every few months I'll have a conversation in therapy that just kind of like magnifies how true that actually is. And it's to the point now where I think recently I've actually been able to catch myself like in the process of doing that, right? Of like someone says something to me and of like feeling wounded by it, but I'll be able to kind of stop that and be like, okay, this is about them. This is not about me. Even if someone Mm -hmm. thinks it is right. If someone's like throwing negative comments or saying, you know, something that is, you know, hurtful, that that hurts, that's hurt. That's hard to hear. Yeah. But like, it's, it's not always about me. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to be mindful of course of like, how I am with people. But I think, yeah, just understanding how I think that, that, yeah, how it's not about me is just like, it creates so much free space to not be constantly thinking about how every single person is perceiving Mm me. Yeah. I think that's a huge concept and something that we can all remind ourselves and constantly work on on a daily basis um, because it creeps up, you know, like these really deep set cognitive distortions like they really they creep up and I think just normalizing that and I think it's so cool that you're in that space where you actually can now you've worked on it enough that you can sort of catch it in the moment and sort of be like can I shift my response right now because I was about to do this or feel this but maybe it's not about this and so it can actually change the way that you respond to something in the moment which is amazing and that's what we can just hope for in a therapy sort of practice and process together. So the last thing is what's looking up for you? Uh, What are you most excited about, hopeful about? Um, This can be professional, this can be personal, but something that uh, that is bringing you hope and you are positively anticipating 
for the near or far future? Yeah. So I know I haven't brought this up yet, but I'm actually considering taking the steps to maybe becoming a therapist. So I'm taking my first intro to psych class that I start in a few weeks and I'm really excited about it just to like, just to learn the more, you know, to get that kind of academic background of the stuff that I'm so passionate about. I love that. That's so cool. And also, of course, uh, your book, which just launched called How to Deal. Where is that available? Is that available everywhere? (sighs) Wherever books are sold. Yeah. I have links on my website, which is www.gracemichelli.com with, you know, links to like indie bookstores and the larger retailers. But yeah, available wherever books are sold. Well, that's awesome. Okay. So the last thing that we do to close out our session together is if you were with me, you would pick your own card. But since you're not, I will just pick a random card for you from my Things Are Looking Up Optimism deck of cards, which is a set of 52 science-based or holistic-based prompts or suggestions that actually increase optimism and resiliency. So this is your card. No need to answer it right now. It's sort of just something for you to take with you for homework. Celebrate your small wins just as you would celebrate the big ones. Did you get out of bed today? Win. Did you nourish yourself with any type of food or drink? Win. Did you complete a task you set out to do today? Win. How have you been winning today? Think about it. So I feel like this really sums up a lot of what we were talking about and this idea of of we're not so used to celebrating our wins. We're much more used to and prone to think about what we need to improve on, what's not going well, what we need to fix. We love fixing things. But you know, there's so much power in all of the optimism and happiness work from a science-based perspective of leaving room and space to actually take the time to celebrate something that you are proud of yourself for. And I think we were just talking about this and really separating this idea that you know, exercising self-pride and celebrating small wins is not a form of narcissism at all. You know, that's a very different concept. So it's actually a form of survival and it's a form of increasing happiness and shifting mindset. And it's a step that we all very much have to kind of get used to working that muscle out. And so just picking something anything throughout your day and how you're winning. And I think often we forget that these small things that we think are small, that we're doing out of respect for ourselves, again, whether it's feeding ourselves or, you know, showering or getting something done or getting out of bed or sleeping or napping or drinking water, whatever these things are, taking a walk. These are all things that we should actually be celebrating in the form of a, of a win. So thank you so much for being on the show. And I'm so excited to get your book. I'm really excited about it. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. This was such a great conversation. Thank you. Have a great day. Me too. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info and how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.co. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is Me and Sade by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.